Welcome to Liberty Station. I'm Bryce Eddy. Our show is brought to you by my good friends at Devoted Capital, where they believe how you profit matters. They're dedicated to helping you align your investments with your values, empowering you to a life well lived. Do not invest with people who hate you and do not share your values. On today's show, we have Steve Bitterly, and Steve is a physicist, inventor, an actual rocket scientist. And we talked a little bit about climate change, climate hysteria, and what's happening in this new little age that we're in with these cultists and what they're trying to do to destroy us, destroy our way of life, and use climate in order to steal our liberty and steal our dough. Enjoy the episode. All right, so today on our show, um, we have a subject that I've been wanting to talk about with an expert for quite some time. And on today's show, we have Steve Bitterly, who's not only a physicist, but he's also a rocket scientist and an inventor. So I think we got the right guy to begin this discussion, and I hope this will be a series of discussions on climate change and global warming and global cooling and uh, you know depending on where you're at in the last 50 years whatever they were labeling it as we know it's a ponzi scheme and a grift in order to separate you from your money and keep people in a state of fear to also separate us from our liberty and with that steve welcome to the show thank you good to be here yeah so so i'm going to um lay out how I view this super quickly, just from, you know, kind of a, a big thing as to what I believe our responsibilities as Christians are and why I think we're in this battle. So first, you know, God calls us to be fruitful and multiply on this earth and, you know, go and make disciples out of all nations, spread the good news of Christ. And a lot of what's happening with this climate change BS is they are putting and elevating the environment over God and elevating nature over God and forgetting who the author and designer of all this is. And as a part of that, it is, again, an absolute grift, to use a word that the left likes to use, against Christians and about them accumulating power by us panicking. I remember as a kid listening to all of the iterations of this since the 70s when I grew up and we had global cooling and then we had global warming and then we had, you know, acid rain and uh, we were going to run out of space on the earth and all of these things every single time has never come to pass the way they say it would come to pass. Most recent example of that was Al Gore and his inconvenient truth stuff where mm -hmm. If we were to have listened to him, right now Manhattan was supposed to be under 12 feet of water. This is how you know um, this stuff is total bunk, is that they never apologize, and they never really say that they were wrong. They just move on to the next thing and make right. the next prediction that turns out to be wrong. So anyway, that's my high level. I'm excited to talk to you about this. Okay. Well... I mean, maybe just to frame it, I mean, the, the whole premise behind global warming is that man burns hydrocarbon fuels. The burning of hydrocarbon fuels releases CO2. 
CO2 is a known greenhouse gas. We can measure temperature variations on the earth and, and it was heating for a while. And so therefore we can draw a conclusion that man has caused this heating by this excess CO2 that's been released in the atmosphere. That's the narrative. But I think what I'd like to do with you today is kind of just break down the science of it a little bit more and look at the boundaries of it and look at what's real and what isn't, what are really the driving factors. And this isn't a question what I'm stating here of not wanting to be good for the environment. I mean, I want to be good for the environment. In my opinion, that's a false narrative sales to claim that reducing the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere is going to be good for the environment. Now, that may strike a lot of people very wrongly or, or differently, but I think once we get through and walk through some of these ideas, you're going to see that this was like a, a red herring that has been put out there. So, I, I mean, do you want me to just start? And, yeah, and, so, hey, I mean, this, is, this, is your, this is your show now, okay. sir. I mean, the, the thing about, first of all, it, aside from the fact that they did call it global cooling in the 70s, but then we got into global warming, it's been global, been global warming for a number of years, for 15 years. And then because it wasn't really warming as much, they switched the name to global to climate change, yeah. which was more of a catch-all. That, And first of all, one thing to be that people should be aware of, there's a difference between weather variations versus climate variations. Everyone sees what's happening locally around in their area and if they see some something warm, you know, warm happening or extra, if they see a hurricane or something, they're they're going to blame that all on climate change. When in fact, that's just natural courses of the weather. Just they're they're trying to capitalize on what they see around. Climate change has to do with thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years. What is the climate like over? eons of time and in fact it's not a normal whatsoever at all we've gone through ice ages we've gone through hot spells we go through cold spells and hot spells and the narrative has been that because there's been increased burning of fossil fuels we're releasing co2 and co2 is a known greenhouse gas that's what's causing it but let's really now get into it if you look at what the just take the atmosphere in general how much percentages of what is in there. There's roughly, there's 78% is nitrogen and there's around 21% is oxygen and there's about 0.93% is argon. And the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere is 0.04%. So just think about that for a minute. We're talking about the entire weight of the atmosphere, 0.04% of it is CO2. 78% of it's nitrogen, 21% is oxygen. So now what's happening is because CO2, when it gets heated up by any, any kind of energy, it can radiate, it means it oscillates, it vibrates in the infrared region. And so what we're saying then, or what people are saying is that that 0.04% of the molecules that are just in the, in the atmosphere are heating up the entire atmosphere, and then that's holding a temperature blanket in the earth. Right there, that, that's something that people should step back and say, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. And so and I'm going to get into a little bit more details. First of all, the amount of 
CO2 that man is actually putting out is roughly in the order of three and a half to five percent of the natural occurring CO2. So of the 0.04% of CO2 in the atmosphere, what man has put out is roughly three and a half percent of it. The rest is all natural. Now, when you're saying man has put out, are you saying burning on, fossil fuels? Okay. In the totality of, of the time that we've been measuring it, kind of a thing, three to five percent, or yeah, three I mean, to 5%. it's over the last hundred years okay. or something. Okay. Yes. All right. But I mean, it it goes it, it you know it was up at I, I have to check the numbers. I mean, I think it was something like fifteen thousand parts per million way back you know in the early, and yet we didn't have runaway heating of the Earth, and now it's you know. 380 or whatever, 400 parts per million. It's getting up to that range right now. And so we're tracking it very carefully, that small increase, and we're saying that that's what's heating the earth. The, the, here's the thing is that if, the, if, this, if you look at the amount of energy it takes to heat up the atmosphere, just say one degree, and you take the entire mass of the atmosphere, so that includes the nitrogen, includes the oxygen, includes the CO2, and you heat up that one degree, that amount of energy to heat that the atmosphere up one degree would represent, if you, a temperature rise in the oceans of one one thousandth of a degree. That's a really key thing to think about. When seventy hmm. percent of the of the world is covered in oceans. Only 30% has got land masses in it, and there's water on that too. So the oceans now are really the driver of what of the climate of the of the entire world. So when we talk about, or or when the IPCC through the UN talks about that we're, we might raise the temperature of the atmosphere three, four, five degrees over the next hundred years, first of all, the atmosphere every single night in the low Earth atmosphere changes. 10 to 20 degrees from daylight to, to uh, nighttime. So the atmosphere is not holding in the energy. In fact, it's, it's dropping 10 to 20 degrees every single night. That's on average. If you go out to the Mojave Desert, it might be 125 out there, and then at night it might get down to 50. It's more than 10 to 20 degrees, but just on average across the Earth. So the, the atmosphere is not holding in virtually any energy. I'm not saying it's not important. It absolutely is. It gives us our, our warm thermal blanket. If we were in a vacuum, we wouldn't have that temperature. But I'm talking about what drives the temperature of the earth. It's not the temperature of the atmosphere that's driving the temperature of the earth. It's backwards. It's the sun that's being absorbed into the oceans and being absorbed into the land. That's what's driving the temperature. And so now what we really need to do is look at what are the mediating factors that control the amount of solar radiation that gets absorbed into the earth and into the oceans. And so that's a really key point that I just brought up. Just, and I want to, I'm going to say it again, just to emphasize the amount of, to raise the temperature of the oceans one degree, that would represent that amount of energy to raise at one degree would represent a thousand degree increase in temperature of the atmosphere. Or hmm. saying it the other way around, raising the atmosphere one degree, if you could transfer all that energy down to the oceans, which you can't because of second law of thermodynamics, you can't transfer all that energy, you're going to get losses in other areas. It would, if all that energy could be transferred to the oceans, it would be one one, one one thousandth of a degree. 
the atmosphere is not heating the world. The increase in the temperature of the atmosphere is not heating the world. It's the fact that we're getting more absorbed solar radiation, and then we re-radiate that back from the land masses, and that does heat up the atmosphere during the day. And you're getting some absorption of, of solar radiation while the sun is coming in, and so it's heating up some of the atmosphere. But the whole idea... Here's another thing just to think about. If you were, and I'm, I'm going to jump here for a second, but just to get back to the whole idea of the energy and the CO2 and the, and, the, and, the, and the nitrogen versus the oxygen. If you took all of the atmosphere, all of the molecules of the atmosphere, 100% of them, which is 78% is nitrogen, 21% is oxygen. If you put that as 10,000 balls, little molecule balls, 0.04%, the concentration of CO2 would represent four balls. So you have four mm. balls out of 10,000 in the atmosphere in the entire, entire world. Four balls. The four balls are driving the temperature of the atmosphere. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. Now, the climate alarmists are telling us right now, well, and I understand, I think we only have like nine years left till the entire Earth blows up or something. But... Um, I think what they've what they've been saying is that um, you know man is putting an undue strain on the earth, undue strain on the earth's atmosphere, and at some point very soon, again, you know, I think it was uh, in 2016 or you know 2019, whatever the the date was, they were saying we had 12 years left, um, and uh, until an unmitigated disaster was going to swallow us all, there driving um, force behind this, I believe, is because they're, you know, fundamentally, uh, you know, anti-Christ, anti-man, and they have ulterior motives. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about over lunch. Um, there's an enormous amount of money being made in the sciences, being made in um, energy, being made, you know, across the board to continue on with this narrative that, you know, we better turn back before it's too late. Um, can you talk a little bit about what's animating this stuff? We have two major tragedies in this country that I take personally, and it's poor health and veganism. Battle both by ordering from my friends at Good Ranchers. 85% of all grass-fed beef is imported from other countries, but because they process it here, they can slap the product of USA label on it. Because of this, over 100,000 independent American farms and ranches have closed. Good Ranchers sells 100% American meat. A Good Ranchers subscription locks in your price to protect you against inflation. Enter code LIBERTY at checkout for $30 off plus free shipping or go to goodranchers.com liberty. Every item is steakhouse quality and you can order the finest steaks, seafood, and chicken at half the price of those other online meat guys. And I'll tell you, in direct head-to-head -head competition in my discriminating household, Good Ranchers just tastes much better. Enter code LIBERTY at checkout for $30 off plus free shipping or go to goodranchers.com slash liberty. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. Well, the whole idea is that if, if increases in CO2 in the atmosphere is what's causing the earth to heat up, and man is burning fossil fuels, then if you're a good steward, 
you won't burn fossil fuels, you'll cut back, you'll you'll go into right. other kinds of technologies. And so that's what's been sold to the people that you're causing the earth to heat up. Yeah, and, and we are called to be good stewards. Yeah, but um, what I'm trying to say is that just because that's the storyline, that doesn't mean it's true. Right. And so the, the point is, is that we're not the ones heating the earth. If you turn the sun off, first of all, what happens when you get clouds in the sky above you? It immediately cools down. Right. The reason is because the heating is coming directly from the sun. If you could turn the sun off for a week, a month, turn it off, this whole planet would start drastically reducing in temperature. The, the, the atmosphere would hold none of that energy. Most of the energy would be stored in the oceans by far. That's what's moderating and mediating it. The real driver of what's determining the actual temperature is, and this is a complex driver and it's very hard to model mathematically, is the amount of cloud coverage that you get. See, what happens is that when the earth is heating up, you're getting more water to evaporate. Water now stores significantly more energy, like a thousand times more energy, water vapor, when it changes phase into rain than what CO2 is. The amount of water vapor that's in the atmosphere is typically between 1% to 4%. The amount of CO2 is 0.04%. So there's a lot more water vapor in the atmosphere. But when CO2 is radiating this, this phenomena, this what we call um, global warming from the CO2, that it's a greenhouse gas, it's radiating in the infrared, but it's putting out minuscule amounts of energy. When water vapor, which is everywhere in the atmosphere, condenses to form rain, it, it gives off just to give you numbers, 1,000 BTU per pound of water versus to change the temperature of the atmosphere is only one or a half a BTU per pound per degree Fahrenheit. So if we're talking about changing the temperature one or two degrees, it's a half a BTU of energy per pound of, of atmosphere. But when water vapor condenses into water, it's giving off 1,000 BTU per pound. That's why if you go to the desert, it's 125 degrees during the day. And then and at nighttime, it gets down to 50 degrees, 40 degrees, because there's nothing to buffer that temperature. The CO2 didn't change in the, in the, in the desert. Now go to Houston or go to Louisiana, where you've got high humidity. It's 95 degrees out during the day, and it's hot as the dickens and then at night it might cool down to 90 and you're still just as hot because yeah. the water vapor is holding all that yeah, energy just as, in you and, and just as wet humidity. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. it's the water that's that's the driver and in fact if you it's admitted by all of the epa the i mean nasa they all admit that the largest greenhouse gas is water vapor but then when they show the pie charts, breaking it down of CO2 and some methane, they've taken that little sliver, which is 0.04% of the molecules and, and how much greenhouse effect, which is 5% of the whole total greenhouse effect, roughly 95% is water vapor. They remove the water vapor and they expand that 5% to a 360 degree pie chart. And now they blow it up and say, now see, look at how much... How, how much effect each thing is, you know, from the pot. man puts in 
5% or whatever of that. Uh, and so it looks like a big portion on the pie chart. But re the reality is water vapor is the real driver. And they know that. NASA knows that. It's, this isn't hidden, hidden information. Right. EPA knows that. But you can't control the water vapor because the water vapor just evaporates when it heats up. Now, here's the, the real thing, and this is the part that's really neat, is that when water vapor, when, when the temperature increases on, on the Earth on average, you get more evaporation of water vapor in the sky. So you get more saturation. When you get more saturation in there, you tend to get a little bit more cloud coverage. And it's already known that on average, the amount of blockage of, of solar radiation from the sun hitting the earth is roughly 20% of the sun's rays are blocked or reflected by, by clouds. So if you get a slight variation in that increase in, um, amount of clouds, it's going to have a, a tendency to cool. And in fact, the clouds actually... There's all kinds of, there's many cycles. I mean, one cycle is governed by the sunspot cycle of, of the sun because of the magnetic radiation that comes out. It's kind of a, a wonky uh, explanation, but what happens by the magnetic field coming down, it brushes away the cosmic rays that are naturally hitting the Earth's atmosphere, which would normally seed the clouds. So then you don't, when, when you have that magnetic activity, you have... A, no cloud seeding, so it tends to warm up. The amount of variation in this cloud seeding that I'm talking about isn't a question of clouds or no clouds. It's like one and a half or two percent variation in cloud coverage. Mm. You can't see it, but one and a half or two percent variation in coverage of the cloud, when the amount of power, the energy that's coming from the sun is 179,000 terawatts, if you take 20 percent of that, that's how much is being blocked by the clouds. Now, plus or minus one or two percent. That's greater than all the power generated by mankind from every single power source. Oh, so wow. clouds are mediating and moderating the temperature of the earth. So the getting back into the, uh, uh, just wrapping around, what happens is when you get increased temperatures, you're getting more cloud coverage ever so slightly. So that reflects more of the energy back out so it doesn't get absorbed into earth. So that's called a negative feedback. So there's a self-correcting mechanism right. that God has put in place through the very nature of having water vapor form into clouds, reflecting some of that energy back. And, and it's a complex system because it changes all across the earth and over seasons and all that. So you, that's why climate is a long-term effect. It isn't a three-year, five-year, ten-year effect. That's, that's called weather. Yeah, well, and that's, I mean, that's why. Um, what we're talking about is a big difference between the um, view that the climate alarmists have They're, you know, generally uh, they don't have a Christian worldview where, you know, you and I believe that, you know, God is ultimately in charge of these things. And he did create a complex system that he's the captain over and we are not. Um, we're again, supposed to be responsible, good stewards. Don't throw, throw the trash out of the car on the side of the highway, you know, all those things that we need to be doing to care for our environment, but we aren't as big an effect as uh, the climate alarmists are suggesting. You know, they have an overinflated view of, of mankind and his importance uh, in this regard. Well, we have a big effect on polluting, polluting the water, right. polluting the air, polluting the land, but they've conflated the whole idea of 
pollution, which being a good steward, you would not want to pollute. You right. Pollute. Amen. They've, they've conflated that with CO2 and that CO2 is causing the temperature to rise. So if you're polluting by putting CO2 out there and that's causing the temperature to rise and that's going to cause a catastrophic uh, destruction of the world, that's the narrative that's been sold over 25 years. And if people don't understand the physics behind it and the real drivers, the, the fact that there's four balls out of 10,000 CO2 in the entire atmosphere, it's 0.04% versus the rest, that, that, that water vapor, when it changes phases, phase from the vapor stage to condense into water, is releasing 1,000 BTU per pound versus a half a BTU per pound when the, when the atmosphere just bulk atmosphere changes one degree or half a degree. Those are important phenomena to understand that CO2 is not the thing that's driving it. But that's not to say that CO2 isn't a greenhouse gas. It is. But water vapor is the bigger driver. Right. That's why we're different than Venus. Venus is entirely all CO2. They've tried to conflate that as a, as a false science argument that look at C, CO2 is on Venus. Look at how hot it is on Venus. That's, this is what's going to happen to the Earth because we're going to get, first of all, the, the amount of CO2 on Venus, the, the pressure on, 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 of the atmosphere on Venus is like 50 times higher than the pressure here. We have 14.7 PSI, and it's almost all nitrogen and oxygen, almost no CO2. They're, all, they're almost all CO2, and it's 50 times higher pressure. But still, the bigger reason why Venus is as hot as it is is because it's so much closer to the sun. That's right. the thing that's driving it. So, I mean, it, when you start tying in, well, see, CO2 is in Venus, and that's really a hot house up there. That's what's going to happen to the Earth. No, that's not true because we, don't, we only have 0.04% CO2, and the bigger driver is water vapor, and they have no water vapor up in Venus in the atmosphere virtually. So All there's right. so many narratives that are being missold I think you were getting back to why they were doing that, and you were talking about to make money. But it really, unfortunately, it's my view, my belief, that the bigger reason is it has to do with control. It's not just simply making money, because if you can control the amount of hydrocarbons that are being used by economic mechanisms— then people won't be able to travel as much. They won't be, everything will cost more because energy will cost more. And, and that's been told to us, well, that's just a natural outcome of being a good steward to the environment is to just, you're going to have to pay more. Yeah. Now just recently, um, project Veritas caught, uh, one of the CNN executives, um, on camera, basically saying that, okay, the pandemic's over, you know, we've, we've, you know, run up against this COVID thing. We've played that for all it's worth. Um, so now we're going to have to really double down on this climate change thing. And we're seeing some of that already starting, even though that got released and all that. I mean, I think the, the, um, days following CNN was already talking about the dangers of climate change and what we must do and the radical changes we have to make. Um, but, you know, now we're seeing that even here on a local basis with them starting to place restrictions upon us. Um, you know, of course, California has just recently said there's going to be no more gas powered vehicles uh, after 2030 or 2035. 
Um, here in the short term, they're restricting our water usage here in Ventura County, where, where we live in California. Uh, they're not letting us water our lawns, which is a very insignificant amount of the water that's getting used in our communities and in our state. Um, but they're starting to do these things in the name of, hey, we're in a drought. Hey, we have these problems happening. Hey, we've got, you know, climate to consider. Um, you know, all of this at the end of it has, I believe, some nefarious means to it. But you're right in terms of labeling that as control. And that's what COVID was. That's what the vaccine, that's what all of these things are manifestations of that same spirit. And here we are um, looking at this and, and we're um, losing our liberty and now having to comply with things where we ultimately aren't going to have power to say otherwise. With the consumer price index increasing yet again, the stock market has been in absolute turmoil. What's our illustrious leader doing to quell the surge of inflation? Oh yeah, spending more money and adding to the burden. Don't bury your head in the sand while your savings get decimated. Do something about it. Diversify into gold with Birch Gold. Text LIBERTY to 989898. Birch Gold will send you a free info kit on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account. These are great people with almost 20 years' experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs. Don't allow the left to devalue your savings. Text LIBERTY to 989898 and claim your free info kit from Birch Gold. Again, you can own physical gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account, and Birch Gold will help you to do it. Join their thousands of satisfied customers and secure peace of mind for the upcoming storm. Text LIBERTY to 989898 and secure your future with gold. Do it today. But if you're, if the choice that you're given is you either, as a, as a good person, need to cut back on energy, for instance, or, or not burn fossil fuels or hydrocarbon fuels because you're going to harm the environment, and that's what you're told and that's what you understand, then that's the natural thing to do. Right. But if that's not really what's happening and that's not what the real science says, then you have to step back. Well, wait a minute. If that's not the science, then there's another agenda out there. Right. And so then you have to look at well, why are they doing that? I mean, I mean, one of the things I've heard from actually over a hundred years ago with the Rockefellers, they had it. They they controlled all the oil, and they were. And this is they were saying back then in order to keep the price higher, we're going to have to say that it's going to be scarcer. We're running out of oil. So for the last hundred years, they've continuously used that. We're, we're running lower on oil. We're running low so that it, there's a scarcity factor. Yeah, there. It's a finite resource and you know, we're, and we're yet, running what out of they're it. finding is that there's, and I'm not going to say there's an unlimited resource and I'm hoping that we'll use good technology to come up with better ways to, uh, to, to, to utilize energy, whether it be from burning burning hydrogen, you know, or, or but then, of course, that's going to take some energy to break the water apart to form hydrogen and oxygen. But I'm just saying that there is going to be new technologies that are going to be coming online. But the, the point is that everyone's been sold, and literally my, my kids grew up with it, and they're in their 20s. They grew up with the whole idea from, from grade school all the way up. 
that you're causing the earth to heat up. So it's your fault. We need to do something about this. And what we need to do something about, see, this is the point. I'm not against green technologies. I'm in favor of I'm in favor of working on correcting the pollution problems of the world. That is a huge problem. That's what we need to address. But when they conflate that with you're giving the earth a temperature by burning your fossil fuels from your SUV, and so therefore you're going to have to cut back of that and, and everything else, and that's the story that you're told, and that's the story you believe, then you'll kind of follow along with it. But that's, that's where we're trying to break some of these narratives. That's a narrative that's not grounded in real science. And that's not to say that CO2 isn't a greenhouse gas. It's just not the driver. It's like if you take a flea and put him on the back of a rhinoceros and you weigh the rhinoceros without the flea and you weigh the rhinoceros with the flea, are you going to be able to measure a difference? No. But theoretically, the rhinoceros is heavier because right. you, you, there, it, we are putting CO2 out there, but we're not the ones driving. We're not the ones that are driving the climate. It's the sun coming in, and it's the amount of sun solar radiation that's being moderated, mediated, and that's largely by clouds, which comes from water vapor. Now, they're telling us the oceans are rising, and pretty soon we're going to lose all of our beachfront property. Yeah. What do you say to that? Well, and look who's buying up all the beachfront property. Exactly. Yeah, the ones that are that are claiming that. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that what we've been told or what the public has told is that the when the icebergs are melting, that they're actually causing the the increase in the in the, in the level of the oceans. Archimedes principle says that if you have ice floating in water, when that ice melts, if you take a glass of water, and we talked about this at lunch, if you take a glass of water, fill it up, and then put ice in it so that the water is literally almost over the edge, but surface tension is keeping it from going over the edge, and there's ice floating on top of that. If you just let the glass sit there, all of that ice will melt, and not one drop of water will go over the edge because the water didn't increase in size. What happens is that this is the unique property of water, is that normally uh, materials expand when they heat up, and that is the case with water, but when it gets when it cools, it gets smaller. Water gets smaller, but when it freezes, all of a sudden it expands again. So ice is less dense than water. Otherwise, ice wouldn't float. Right. So when the ice melts in the water, what happens is that it's a it's it's the the water level's going down, but it was but the ice was above the water. So now the the bottom line is that it didn't change the it didn't overflow the glass one single bit. The the glass stayed exactly the same. So when the icebergs melt, there's not one change in the level of the oceans. The only thing that can change the level of the oceans is when ice or snow from land, which is not floating in the oceans, melts and runs off like streams. That would change the but I mean that's a minuscule amount. Yeah, one of the things that they're saying in their worst case scenarios, if you look at the science, look what they're actually saying and extrapolate it out over a hundred year period, um, what they're suggesting is it's going to be a three inch rise 
in um, the ocean levels. Right. Okay. Again, you know, if that if what they were saying is true, and under their worst case scenarios, over 100 years, an increase of three inches, we can get a, out of the way of that. Yes. We can. We can. Um, we can certainly build what we need to in order to avoid a three inch rise. Um, so the picture that they continuously have to paint um, to us is uh, one of immediate catastrophe or one of like, you know, the uh, movie level catastrophes that all of a sudden, you know, buildings are toppling and things are falling into the ocean and things are exploding and all that stuff, that sort of Hollywood picture of what this climate disaster is going to look like. People's skins melting off their faces. They ha- they they are, without saying it, kind of selling us that narrative. That's right. Not the fact that, okay, maybe some people have to, um, you know, move a little further south or, hey, we're going to have a little bit, uh, you know, greener pastures a little bit further north you know they're not they're not talking about what that looks like we do know throughout history and if you go to a natural history museum if you study anything outside of climate science about what the world looked like throughout periods of history it was a series of cooling and warming periods they used to have wine grapes in england which they really don't it's it's inhospitable to growing wine um but Throughout history, we know that that was the case. There's documented fact before we were measuring all of these things accurately and getting ourselves all twisted up. We knew that that was the case. Um, I'll bet England would like to be a little warmer and maybe have their own wine regions. That wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, But again, they're trying to sell to us this panicky thing because that's how they separate us from our liberty. That's how they separate us from our cash. Yeah, and another comment I just want to make on that iceberg thing, too, is if you look at the all of the water in the world, 96% of it is locked up in the, in the ocean, so that's salt water. Mm-hmm. There's only 4% of the water in the world that's fresh water. Of that 4%, 3.5% is in icebergs that float out in the ocean. There's a half a percent that's involved in all the aquifers, the rivers, the, the uh, land ice, land snow and land ice. That's a half percent. All the lakes, all the giant lakes everywhere is a half a percent. Oh, well. So when that's the 4% that's fresh, 3.5% is locked up in those icebergs. So when they melt, they don't change the, the level of the, of the earth. I'm not saying the melting of the, of the icebergs is a good thing or a bad thing. That's called climate change. That happens when the earth absorbs more energy from the sun. And that's mediated over long periods of time, climate, by so many factors, clouds being one of them. And so what I'm saying is that you can pinpoint, say, well, look, the temperature's rising or the weather's going up here. And, and people will say, oh, well, then that's, that's the cause. We're causing all that problem. But the point I'm trying to make is that we are not the ones causing the causing that. They're they're putting that as a narrative out there that we're the ones causing it. That's not to say we're not polluting. CO2 is not pollution. In fact, the satellite photos over the last 20 years show that the earth is greening because CO2 levels have been rising some. The earth has actually greened. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad thing. In fact, all of the forests and the oceans are putting out oxygen by because of the of the morpho, 
photosynthesis that's occurring. Do you know whom you're voting for? With every product you buy and every dollar you spend, you are casting your vote. Devoted Capital offers values-based investing portfolios that are designed to help you reach your financial goals, all the while making a positive impact on your life and the world around you. They are dedicated to educating, engaging, and empowering you to be wise with your investments and to equip you to be knowledgeable with your vote. Visit their website at devotedcapital.com to learn more about values-based investing or dial 805-372-0821 to speak to your values investor advocate today. Investment advisory services offered through Alliance Advisory and Securities, LLC, registered investment advisor. Yeah, and I've heard other climate, real climate scientists, and by that I mean the ones that aren't owned by this narrative, actually talk about having a little bit more greenery, having a little bit warmer temperatures um, is not um, bad for the earth and is not necessarily catastrophic. In fact, it's it's probably beneficial if we right. were to warm up again a little slightly. Again, we've, we've seen these cycles over time. Um, why do you think, well, let me set it up this way. So I listened to um, a, a few months back, um, Joe Rogan, again, number one podcast on the earth, had a climate scientist, I, I want to say his last name was Kunin, I could be wrong, that wrote a book called Settled. And he was basically saying, okay, the science is not settled. And there's room for discussion, and we should be having authentic discussions about this stuff. And he laid out a lot of the reasons why and, and what you see much like what you're doing. Um, following that show, because, you know, Joe Rogan has gotten accused of not, you know, putting on the other side. And and um, and so he put on immediately a professor um, out of a school. And again, I should have uh, thought I was going to talk about this. I should have um, remembered these names better. But he put a guy immediately following. And uh, the Kunin character, um, while he was on the show, was, was, again, basically going, hey, we should be asking these questions. We should be talking about these things more. We should be looking at the, the total picture of this thing and not just dismissing you know, the, the people who are, who are calling into question some of this science and some of this data. It's not settled. The other guy was, how can you little people possibly understand where I'm coming from? <laughs> Let me see if I can dress this down enough for your audience so that they understand. And he was incredibly condescending about it all um, the entire time. And none of his arguments were all that convincing, but they came from this just air of authority. Um and it seems that what we're doing right now is rewarding the people who want to obscure what's really going on, rewarding the people with grants and rewarding them with these jobs that are supporting this narrative that's supporting the machine that's pushing us towards, you know, radical changes in energy policy, um, you know, pushing us towards all of these decisions that are actually harming third world countries too, Absolutely. because those folks don't have the luxury of running out and buying electric cars. They literally need warming fires exactly. still. So for them to go to warming fires to burning some fossil fuels would be a massive upgrade and help them get out of poverty. Right. Um, so I, I think there's a, you have to ask a real what moral really is the agenda. There. Yeah. I think there's a moral issue here. That's, that's pretty ugly about what they're trying to do. I agree with that. And, and the reason why 
the narrative has been so successful is people, in my opinion, don't understand the science behind it. And the guy that you're talking about that's being condescending, I'd like to see him counter some of my articles about the energy storage of water vapor versus the amount in CO2. I mean, he's the whole idea of global warming is it's a thermal phenomenon. Yeah. If the, if the atmosphere cools 10 to 20 degrees every single night and we're worried about it might increase four degrees on average over the next hundred years, yeah. and that's going to cause the whole earth to heat up. That's not what's driving the temperature of the earth. I'm not saying there's not global warming, right? The global warming is the sun up in the sky. Yeah, and, well, well, and, you're you're saying what the what the um, you know first guy I'm talking about was saying, which is yeah, hey, I'm not saying that this isn't happening. I'm saying that okay, how much of it's happening? Why is it happening? And what should we do about it, if anything? Right. And why aren't we able to have honest discussions about it? You know, and and that's the responsible way we should behave when it comes to these things. I mean, it's very analogous to the way things went with the whole vaccine. I mean, there was questions that were coming up with that, and they didn't want to have any other doctors that were credible doctors speak on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it, it ruins, again, to borrow a word from the left that they've been using a lot, it ruins their grift. It ruins their ability to control the narrative. It ruins their ability to, you know, accumulate the power that they're after. Um, they just want compliance. That's why this climate change thing is is running against the same narrative. Remember, if we weren't wearing a mask and if we were running around without masks, if we were going places, if we were going about our business, we were killing grandma. Exactly. And so it's the same spirit right now that they're doing is, you know, if we aren't, if we're watering our lawns, you know, we are, we are causing, right. you know, uh, problems to the environment. If we're, um, you know, driving our cars, if we're going about our lives, we are destroying humanity and we're killing people. It's the same thing, same spirit. It's the same manifestation of it. Um, and I love that. I love that word because uh, on on a couple of podcasts, um, you know, we've talked about why and how all these things are connected. And I do think it's a spirit of antichrist. It's a it's a spirit, uh, you know, against God, against um, you know the fact that He is in control, and they're driving that at us um, in order to say, oh no, you know, we're we're now we've like you, Noah Yuval Harari has said, we we've moved beyond the God of the Bible. Yeah. Now we're the creators. Now we're yeah. the ones in charge, and and that is uh, is a, a great evil that they're perpetuating on us. And and if this loses steam and they're not able to get what they want out of this narrative, they'll just move to something else. Yeah, but this is an important narrative because this controls energy worldwide. Yeah. And not only just which cars you drive, but all the manufacturing. And so manufacturing, if it's going to be under reduced energy availability, is going to cost more. They're going to have to pay more for that. And they don't just pay more themselves and say, but we'll borrow the cost. They're just going to tack that on. And so everything is going to cost more. Yeah. And so people don't realize that by going down this path, it's it's locking up more and more of their own freedoms. Mm -hmm. And that's what's an important thing. And again, and I, I just really want to hit this point here, is that if people really understood that this is not a question of, like you said, harming grandma, we're not harming the, the world by driving or, you know, by burning fossil fuels or by burning hydrocarbons. 
that that's that's not the science doesn't support that then why are we doing it but if you truly believe the science report supports that then you'll do anything to save this world i mean and that's the narrative that's been drummed into people for 20 years yeah i mean you can see um little icebergs you know with an iceberg and a and a, and a polar bear floating out there well it turns out polar bears don't routinely swim a hundred miles out in the ocean with nothing. I mean, they swim a hundred miles. So, I mean, if they, he just happened to be floating out there and here's another one, the, the actual polar bear uh, population has increased fairly drastically over the last 20 years since this so-called heating has occurred. Yeah. The Inuits are having problems with them. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, but that was a narrative that was brought out there to show that we're causing this ice to, to melt and the polar bear isn't going to have a home. Yeah. Well, they're actually doing better. And or we have a chipmunk that's that's uh, and so it pulls on the heartstrings. And the point that I'm trying to make is that if you get tied into the emotional side and don't look at the practical or the physics side or the science side or or just the logic side, you're going to start following a narrative that isn't necessarily true. Yeah, and and we have to remember, and the audience should should. Remember this in almost all of these things. There's activists that are making their living on this stuff, right? Yeah. And if you solve these problems or you come to a conclusion that it isn't a problem anymore, you're out of a job. So that's why the, uh, you know, homelessness advocates, that's why the climate people, uh, climate alarmists, all of them are making money. And in many cases, a lot of money driving these um, narratives over and over again. That's how they earn their living. So always keep that in mind when you hear people selling exactly. you this stuff. This is this is their thing, and they're out of job if the problem goes away. I, I personally think that the better way of approaching looking at life is seeking truth, not just see, seeking to go along. Yeah. And if people would seek the truth more, they they would find that a lot of the narratives that they're just going along with aren't really based on truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, agreed. Well, listen, we um, we have to keep this conversation going, so we'll have to have you back on um, and and hit more of these things, especially as more of this stuff comes up in the news. Because I think like like we've had with our, our doctors during the pandemic, you know, uh, the more and more they're going to be pushing at this, the more and more we're going to need to be counteracting it. We're going right. to need to be talking about it and publicizing what they're saying and why what they're saying is wrong, uh, because they're going to use this issue now you know it's going to be climate change all the time and especially if the um uh democrats and the well i should say the leftists remain in power um after 2022 and 2024 this is going to be everything that they're that they're right. uh, putting energy into um but i wanted to i wanted to shift gears really quick because you and i had an interesting conversation over lunch that i thought was fun now this one's probably going to um upset half of my audience and it I'm already a heretic in my own home uh, but we talked a little bit about old earth versus uh, young earth concept and I thought you had a um, absolutely beautiful thought on this because I, I tend to be um, just in the plain reading of scripture I understand why people go okay the the earth is you know 6,000 years old or 10,000 years old or whatever they say. Um, I understand why they do that. 
and I understand why they want to um, understand it that way. But I, uh, when I read the scripture, I look at it and say, okay, our finite brains cannot handle the infinite mind of God. So he has to put things into understanding for us in scripture so that, you know, we can kind of conceive of things and our brains don't explode. Uh, and then it's our job to, you know, really ferret these things out and expand our understanding and all of that. So I'm comfortable with the idea that, you know, when he says, you know, six days, you know, seventh day he rested, I, I'm comfortable with the idea that, you know, at that time, time wasn't what we understood it to be, day and night cycles, all of that stuff. And and sometimes he uses pictures for the age, you know, and maybe it was ages that he did these things in. And basically, and this is for the audience out there that thinks I'm nut for saying this or I'm a heretic, I'm comfortable with not entirely understanding it. But you said some things that I thought were really beautiful as to the way you looked at it. So I'd love, I'd invite you now in our last few minutes to kind of hit okay. that. Okay. Um, first of all, my perspective, I mean, I've, on the one side, I'm a physicist and I approach things from scientific basis. But on the other side, I'm a Christian and I believe that the Bible is infallible. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that actually led me to, well, why are one of the big issues that there's a big war going on between the naturalists, the scientists, if you will, versus the Bible is, is the age of the universe and the age of the earth. Mm -hmm. And Genesis talks about it being that there's basically 5,700 years, the, the ages since Adam and there was six days. And so the conclusion by reading the Bible only is that then that's the age of the universe. It's six days plus 5,700 years or whatever it is, all the, all the generations from Adam. But the, the point about it is, is that if you now you look at the science side, I mean, Einstein did have a, a say in some of this, and he came up with a theory of relativity that time flows differently in different frames of reference. So if you look at, if you ask a scientist or cosmologist how old is the is the uh, universe looking from the Earth's time frame, looking back, he'd say 13.7 billion years. And, of course, that goes against what we think of as Christians because that's not what's stated in the Bible. But if you ask that same cosmologist, I'm going to transport you with a time machine back to when the universe popped into existence, when Genesis from day one started indicating that there was nothing but just light coming out, which kind of correlates to what scientists mm -hmm. think is the Big Bang. So you put this cosmologist right there in that time frame. It's a different space-time position than here on Earth. And you ask him, how long would, if 13 billion years take, from this point over here, from where you're at? And he'd say six days. And it works out to be six days Six 24-hour days, not 2,000-year days, not a day is a 2,000-year thing. Six, roughly six 24-hour days from the moment that time was created. And this occurs because the universe is expanding and time flows differently in different frames of reference. So what this has led to me in my studies of it is that, that how old is the, earth, the universe? It's 13.7 years 13.7 billion years old, and it's six days old, and both are correct. They are both correct, 
but they're viewing it from a different fr- time frame. And here's why. When the Bible was written, we were on earth. God's not going to write it from a time frame that man would have no perspective of. He didn't know anything about general relativity. That came 2,000 years later or 4,000 years later before we had enough information to even know that time flowed differently. So he's not going to try to explain it or have it written in, in the Bible based on scientific knowledge that, that he wanted man to invent along the way to be able to discern what he did. So he put it in the time frame of the Earth's time frame, and he said it was six days. But those six days, if you go back from when time was created, because that there was nothing before God created everything, so time started at that instant, and you move forward six days in that time frame, that would work out to be 13.7 billion years. I love it. All and right. it's not a linear amount. It's not like each... Each day is a is is a is thirteen point seven over over six days or two. You know, it's it it's it varies because there's an expansion part, so it's a little more complicated than that. I, and I, I love it because you, you you're uh, just like the universe. You're expanding my brain. Well, there's more to it too <laughs> because when you actually go back to the Old Testament, not the King James version, but some of the old Aramaic, and you look at what they said, it actually correlates quite well with what scientists have said and here's one more i'll I'll just leave because i didn't tell you this one if i mean if you look at the cambrian explosion that supposedly occurred 500 million years ago well that's right between the fifth and the sixth day but because these time frames aren't they're not linear and and i have to get into that more but they're not linear so that's right between the fifth and the sixth day prior to the cambrian explosion that's where all fossil animals existed with articulated arms, eyeballs, you know, everything. It just all appeared instantly. Prior to that, there was nothing. Well, that's kind of like what the Bible says prior to, the, to, day, to day five when he all of a sudden he had single-celled animal or, um, bacteria, and then all of a sudden he, he produced the plants, and then the next day the animals. And each one correlates, but that's wow. not... That's in a different time frame, though, and that's that's what's really unique. So it's, I don't want to just throw the baby out with the bathwater just because I want to believe in the Bible. I'm not going to throw all my science out, but I'm not going to throw well we sh- well we shouldn't because the Bible out just yeah. because I believe in some science. Well, we shouldn't, and maybe this is the time that I need to remind the audience that God invented science. He's the actual yeah, exactly. author of it, and it's our job to figure these things out and uh, and work on these things. And we have to have brilliant minds like yours to help us do this. And so you you can be our new show's science advisor. <laughs> Um, well, listen, I, I appreciate um, what we just left the audience with. Their their heads will be spinning. So this is good. And, and maybe I'm still a heretic in my house. Maybe not. I don't know. But uh, but thank you for coming in. No, and uh, and let's thank do this you. again. We're going to need you uh, to, um, to help us uh, sift through some of the stuff that's going to be said, I think, in the coming months and years here. Yeah, so thank you, Steve. To. You're welcome. Thanks again, Bryce. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on Liberty Station. I hope you enjoy the show. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us on Rumble, Liftable TV, or Spotify, or anywhere that you consume podcasts. Please text these episodes to your friends and support our advertisers. 